11, 1 through 13. Again, Luke 11, 1 through 13. Hear these words from the Lord. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and to the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. The word of the Lord. Well, it's been called the fatherless generation that we are in the midst of. It's not a sudden epidemic. It's been building for decades. But the statistics are staggering regarding the number of children growing up without a, parent, without a father. In the post-war generation, of all children grew up with two parents. Now in the United States, one in three children live without a father. More than 20 million children. When you add to that the number of fathers who are emotionally absent, the numbers continue to climb. And in the cities, it's downright staggering. In southeast Washington, only one in 10 children live with a father. Over 57.6% of uh, black children do not have a father in the home. 31% of Hispanic children, 20% of white children. Some uh, parenting organizations say that fatherlessness is the cause of every single problem that children experience in the United States. The stats tell us this, kids from fatherless homes are five times more likely to be poor and ten times more likely to be extremely poor. Kids from fatherless homes are twice as likely to be high school dropouts. Girls are three times more likely to be unwed teenage mothers. Ninety percent of runaways come from fatherless homes. And three out of four teen suicides come from fatherless environments. Seventy percent of men in prison come from fatherless homes And when they're asked the question whether there was a father figure in the home, whether there was a father there or not, 90% say no. Fatherlessness is an epidemic in our country. I want to talk about fatherlessness today, but not physical fatherlessness. I want to talk about spiritual fatherlessness. 
Imagine if these are the statistics for physical fatherlessness with a biological parent. What are the statistics for spiritual fatherlessness without the father of all, God being present in one's life? See, this is the question. This is the thing that is pushing the disciples as they see Jesus pray. He has this relationship with this person, the one that they know as God, but Jesus knows his father. And Jesus has been saying these amazing things. He's been calling him father. Indeed, he's been calling them your father. And they know that there's something missing in their hearts. I want to suggest to you that if we don't apprehend the truth, that we have a spiritual father in our life, and if we don't live with him, the consequences are devastating. Certainly, we miss out on the blessed that God has for us. And so I want us to be like the disciples, to get into this story, if you will, to ask the question, Jesus, teach us how to pray. What does it mean to really have a spiritual father? It's the blessing and the gift that Jesus Christ has given to each one of us. It's the hope of the gospel. The glory of the gospel is simply this, that Jesus brings us and makes the God of the universe, our personal father. And if God is your father, you can treat him like one. My sermon is comprised of three simple points. We can ask. We can ask him as if he is our true father. Two, we can expect from him as one would expect from a father because he is our true father. And finally, number three, we have the blessing of resting and receiving from him all throughout our life because we have a true spiritual father. So if God is your father, treat him like one. Well, let's begin. Jesus has given the message of the gospel. He's going throughout towns and preaching it. The kingdom has come. Now, we don't think about such a term, but imagine if you lived back then and someone said that there is a new king and a kingdom is coming. Their first question would be, what does this king intend to do with us? They still lived in an era where a king would come across, you know, and invade, whether a Babylonian king or a Persian king. And that king is the law, you know, Lex Rex. No, Rex Lex. The king is the law. He can decide to do with us whatever he wants. So what does this king intend to do with us? And the beauty is as Jesus proclaims the kingdom of God, he brings peace. He says, peace be with you. But some people don't want this king. Some people are rejecting this king. Some people are accepting and believing in this king, embracing this king. Remember Mary last week sitting at the feet of Jesus. But we discovered that this king Based on what Jesus is saying, his goal is more than simply peace. It's more than a cessation of hostilities. No, rather, it's about being in a relationship with the king. That this king who has come is actually your father. Listen to Jesus in Luke 10, 22. All things have been handed over to me by my father, and no one knows who the son is except the father or who the Father is except the Son, and, ev and everyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Jesus is saying that this person that's coming, the King, the Father, is your Father. 
And I'm sure some people have to be thinking to themselves, this is preposterous. How can God be my father, even know who I am? Well, the disciples have been watching this. They've been living in a front row seat. And they've been seeing Jesus living out this relationship. And they see Jesus praying in a certain place as he used to do all the time, communicating with the Father in a way they don't understand. And it says in verse 1, when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. He didn't say, teach us what to pray, mind you. Nor did he teach us what to pray, say, teach us what to pray for. What he's really saying is because he has no idea what Jesus is saying or praying is, Lord, teach us how to relate to God like you relate to God. We want in on whatever it is that you are doing. We want off the sidelines. And this is the very reason that Jesus came. And so Jesus, as he explains how to pray, he's not giving us a formula He's giving us an invitation, an explanation, if you will, almost a, a revelation of what it means to be in relationship with God. Contained in this prayer here is how we are to re relate to God. And so he begins in verse 2, and he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Father is how you start this prayer, disciples. You know, who you approach determines how you speak. I don't know if you have a boss and you go to speak to the boss, you'll speak to him as an employee speaks to a boss. If you have a friend, you go and speak to him as a friend speaks to a friend. But Jesus says, as you go to God, speak to him as to a father. You know, I have one person in my life who I can call father. His name is Zeke, for you know. He's somewhat of a myth or a legend if you have met him. And I approach my father in a way that I approach everybody, uh, I, I approach differently than everybody else. Because he is my father. And he's been with me from the beginning. He is my flesh and blood. He looks like me, and I look him. He was there when I skinned my knee when I was two years old. He was there when I was afraid of the dark. He was there when I needed somebody to watch over me. He was the one that I looked to in the stands when I was playing the game, looking for an approval from him. There's no hesitation when I come to my physical father because he, in fact, is my father. But Jesus says, when you approach, say, Father. In other words, child, you have two fathers. It's a command, actually, in the Greek. This is how you are to call him. This is the way he wants to be known with you. His final name that he wants you to call him is not Elohim. It's not Yahweh. It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So when you approach disciples, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Now we think of that and we think of the names of God, and he has so many, right? Lion of Judah, 
the great I am. These tremendous names in the Old Testament, El Shaddai, all of the beauty contained in these names. But the name that he wants to be called is Father. And so to hallow his name, meaning to honor his name, is to honor the very name that he wants to be called. So hallowed be your name means you are the best Father. All the qualities of God. Hallowed be your name. To consider him father, but to lift up his fatherhood. God's qualities are in his very name. There's this beautiful scene, I don't know if you remember in Moses, where Moses says, show me your face in Exodus. And God consents. And he says, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim before you my name. And it says the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, here is his name. The Lord, the Lord, a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So to hallow God is to make much of his fatherhood. You are a gracious father. A merciful father, abounding in steadfast love, father, faithful to me. You know, what father doesn't enjoy when their child comes to them and says that and lifts up their fatherhood? Why do we not think that God would feel the exact same way in the name that he wants us to call him? Father, you are the best father. Your kingdom come. Well, this kingdom is coming. Why do we even pray for that? No, the prayer really is, your kingdom come, Father, over me. If he is our father, what does that make us? It makes us a prince, right? And what does that make the kingdom? It makes the kingdom our house. Father, I want to live under your house, under your rule. It's the very same prayer as the prodigal son who runs back to his father, who doesn't even have the courage and bows his head in shame and says, I'm not even worthy to be a son in your house. But Jesus says, no, no, no. Approach your father and say, I want to live under your house. May your rule be great. Give us each day O oh, good Father, our daily bread. Give us, Father. You can approach him as the one who is the giver. Bread is more than simply food. It is our daily needs. Think of all the things that it takes to live. Not only breath, not only bread, but breath. Love. Just all of the very Things that it takes, Jesus is saying. You can come to God, your Father, and say, meet my needs each day. Not once every seven days when you go to church and have your acts together, but each day. God, my Father, meet my needs 
And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Who else can forgive sins but God? And all sins are an offense ultimately against God. So to come to God, what Jesus is saying is go to him and say to him, let me know that all is okay between us. That you still love me. That you still think that I am the best. You can approach God this way, my disciples. And lead us not into temptation. In other words, we can pray to Father. Pray to our Father, don't lead me astray. Walk me in a path that leads to goodness and mercy. Lay me down in gentle pastures beside quiet streams. Protect me. See, what the disciples are asking and what Jesus is telling us is that prayer is at the core of who we are. The most fundamental need of our hearts is to be made right to walk in unity with our spiritual father. And we must meet this need somewhere. I don't know if you have or had a great father. But Jesus is telling us that we must have two fathers to raise us. And that you have a spiritual father. Without him, where will we go to find the best father? Our job? Our boyfriend? Our husband? Can they handle the mantle of best father? Where will we go to find a house that's worthy, that can shelter us from the storms of life? From this world? Will it protect us? Who will we go to to ask the question, is everything okay with me? Only our spiritual father. And so Jesus is saying, as these disciples are asking the question, ask and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. If you knock, he'll surely open the door. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. There is resolution and satisfaction for the longing heart for a spiritual father. The issue is, will you ask? Will you seek? Will you knock? It's interesting, I have four children. Mark, of course, is already in heaven. But the other kids, three of ours, came out of my wife. Uh, the fourth came to us as a gift from God, Maria. We got Maria from Nicaragua when she was five years old. And fatherlessness had already done a lot of its damage. They say the longer that an orphan lives in an institution, the harder it is for them to attach. And it was a brutal process of teaching someone who had never had a father or a mother that they can trust and ask. And there is shrapnel or scars that continue to this day. Maria is very interesting. When she wants something, she'll look at it, and let's say it's a, um, let's say it's a candy bar or something. And she'll say, that's a... That's a cool candy bar. 
Yes, it is. I really like that candy bar. Yeah. My other kids, can I have that candy bar? They don't think twice about asking, right? Why is Maria doing that? There's a hesitation in asking. Because she isn't quite convinced. There still is a gap somewhere in there where there's fear that we aren't good parents, that we will not watch over, that it might be too much to hope and to be disappointed. We are all adopted children of our Heavenly Father. But we don't have to stay that way, do we? God is telling to us in this passage, Jesus is telling us, the Father wants you to ask, brazenly, brazenly. No, it's not just a good candy bar. Lord, is that for me? May I have that? Jesus, teach us to pray. The only way we can figure this thing out, my friends, is to stay close to Jesus because he's the one that can help us to understand. And so pray, my friends, not to a great powerful force, not in the timidity of someone that has no relationship, but pray to a father, the best father, your father. Oh, father, rule over me. You're the best father. Meet all of my needs and make everything to be okay between us. Seek and knock and find. Right now, you are taking these things somewhere. And if it's not to your heavenly father, there is a crisis in your life of spiritual fatherlessness. And you're missing out on the gospel. All of the other things in your life that you're chasing after are pointless until you understand the heavenly father as your father. And many of you are afraid to hear the answer. So ask, seek, and find. For if you have received God as your father through Jesus Christ, you get to treat him like one. This brings me to my second point, to expect. Notice in verse 5, Jesus continues with the teaching, you know. We kind of want to separate this. This is the second time he teaches uh, this Sermon on the Mount, this Lord's Prayer. But he keeps on going in verse 5. Which of you who has a friend goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves? A friend of mine has arrived, and i got to give him something. To give you translation here, Jesus is sort of telling you a, a ludicrous story. Everybody, the disciples are going, yeah, this is ridiculous. If you have a friend, you will go to them, but you see the way that the, the uh, culture in, in uh, the ancient Near East was, if you had nothing to set before a guest in that village or community, by default, that guest became everybody's responsibility. And so there are two reasons why this person has to end up giving bread. The first is because he's his friend, and the second is because of the bond, the honor bond, if you will, to care for this person. And so Jesus compares how much more your father to give good things, excuse me, the Holy Spirit, how much more your father. So if the friend is grumpy and tired, and reluctant and occupied, 
how much more your father, who never gets grumpy or occupied or tired. See, not only God's nature in our relationship says that he will care for you, but also because of the honor bond, the sake of his name, he will care for you. See, God has set his name upon you. And as in the community, there is an honor bond between having to care for that person simply because they're the guest of someone else. There is the bond of the father who has set his name on caring for us. It's a covenant of faithfulness. God will care for you because of himself, not even for you. He has set his affection on you. And so Jesus is saying, you can expect, you can brazenly go and knock on the Father's door and tell him your needs. And you won't experience a grumpy, reluctant friend, but a gracious, heavenly Father who longs to be compassionate to you, who waits for you to ask, as I sometimes wait for Maria to ask, so she can get the blessing of asking and receiving. God continues, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Good for bad. You ask for a fish, what father will give him a serpent? They're asking for something to eat, I assume, not a goldfish or a koi. Rather, something good to eat. What father will give him something bad that would hurt him? An egg for a scorpion. If a father knows how to nourish, how much more does your heavenly father know how to give good? If you, though you're evil, know how to give good, how much more? You know, this is the multiplication principle. Think of yourself as a parent if you are. And think of God. See, what you expect of someone is what you ask. How do you approach a stranger? How do you approach an earthly father? Well, how does one approach a heavenly father? We were designed, my friends, to have two fathers. To expect a certain thing from our earthly father who is flawed. But to expect the world from our heavenly father who is perfect. I uh, talked to a friend of mine, uh, his, uh, he's a younger kid, his name's Alexander Brinkley, actually. He goes to Norfolk Christian. He's graduating this year, and he's one of these kids that just, man, he just loves the Lord. He just loves the Lord. And he's involved, there was uh, a teacher that died at Norfolk Christian, David Sandwell was his name. Uh, Doug Sandwell, I'm sorry, a, a glorious guy, he loved the Lord. Left behind some children, and one of them was a little boy. Well, David has uh, tried to fill in the gap. So to, uh, I'm sorry, um, Alexander has tried to fill in the gap and sort of be a big brother to him, a bit of a father to him and to come alongside him. And I talked to him yesterday and he was saying some of the things he was doing with this little kid. And uh, man, it's special just to see this guy showing love, this senior reaching into this, how old is uh, uh, how old is uh, David is kid, like sixth grade or something like that. But what's amazing about it is, here's the reality. 
No matter how much Alexander tries, there's nobody that can fill the gap of an earthly father. There's nothing that can fill the gap of a heavenly father. So what's missing in your life is a heavenly father. And an earthly father can't take the place. They say statistically that based on the relationship that a daughter has with a father has a lot to do about the husband that she chooses, the way that she behaves, where she looks out for affection. How much more so a heavenly father? So that men, they get their... Um, from looking to their fathers, answering the question, am I capable? Am I good enough? But the reality is my earthly father can only go so far. I ultimately have to answer that, have, have that question answered by my heavenly father. If we need an earthly father, how much more a heavenly father? But the beauty of this is that Jesus is saying that you can ask and you can also expect. You can expect his love when you're empty. You can expect his care when nobody's watching. You can expect his eye to be upon you. You can expect his wisdom. He's there for you. It's about 34 degrees on Friday night. My son was at Great Neck middle having a lacrosse scrimmage. It was just a scrimmage. Didn't count for anything. But I'm going to be there like my father was there because that's what dads do. How much more your heavenly father? We have a right to ask and we have a right to expect the world, from God the Father who gave His Son that we might be His children. My final point, rest and receive. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Why does He say Holy Spirit in this instance? Shouldn't He say whatever it is that you ask for? We know what the Holy Spirit is, who the Holy Spirit is, and what He brings. He brings the presence of God, the power of God. But most of all, He brings the life of God. You know, one of my biggest problems in my relationship with my Heavenly Father is I ask for bad things, and I get mad when He doesn't deliver them. Oh, Heavenly Father, bring me my comfort. Bring me my stuff. Bring me my world. But instead, my Father who knows what I need brings me joy and peace and a sunrise and a smile. My oldest son, Mark, figured this out maybe more than anyone I know. He says, when you know who a gift is from, it changes everything. That every day, my heavenly Father 
has a banquet of things laid out for me. But I'm so preoccupied that I miss them. Father, help me to see your love, to rest and receive. When we trust in our Heavenly Father, we don't even really need to ask often. We just need to rest. Is God your Father? Have you given your life to Jesus Christ? Have you said like the disciples, Lord, teach me. I want this. If he is, then treat him like one. Ask. Expect. Rest and receive. Your father is the father of the universe who longs to show compassion to you. Is there anything else worthy of such a pursuit or obsession than to know my heavenly father? This is God's gift for you. Ask, and it will be given.